0: Welcome to the FPA Business Before Technology podcast, where our goal is to provide small business owners and key decision makers with valuable nuggets to help you grow or simply improve how you run your business, ultimately looking to increase your profitability. My name is Craig Pollack, I'm the founder and CEO of FPA Technology Services, and I'm your host for this podcast. Do you ever wonder what other business owners are running up against out there? Are you too busy working in your business to work on your business? Do you ever feel like you're in this thing alone? Are you at a crossroad with your business where some new ideas would help? For nearly 30 years, I've been helping companies grow and improve their businesses by leveraging technology, whether it's software, hardware, on-prem, or in the cloud, and at the same time building FPA into the premier IT service provider in the greater Los Angeles area. This experience has given me exposure to hundreds of businesses and all sorts of systems, and as a lifelong learner, has helped me gather all I could about the ins and outs of running a business. And these are the sorts of things I want to share with you on this podcast. In today's podcast, I sit down with Justin Grooms, founder and CEO of Chariot Consulting, a full-service organizational development firm helping businesses improve the lives and performance of their employees through risk management, safety, and training and development programs. In his engagements, Justin's method of consulting is what he likes to call business owner friendly. His goal is to make sure that the business remains profitable during any initiative and that sustainability is a focused outcome of his work. I love talking with Justin about all things organizational development, his background, and the value he brings to every engagement. I'm excited to have Justin on our podcast and share some of his insights with you today. So here we go. Let's dive into our conversation with Justin Grooms. Okay, uh, welcome, Justin Grooms, uh, CEO and founder of Chariot Consulting. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Craig. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. I'll uh, I'll do my best to to up my energy level to keep up with you because i know <laughs> if you guys could see this man's smile it's it's like ear to ear it's, it's i mean it's uh just radiate positivity man i love it
1: i try i try it's still kind of early in the morning but you know i get up pretty early so my day's about half done by now so yeah awesome, but it, awesome. Uh, it's good yeah I try to keep my energy up for you
0: too okay so let's let's dive in. Uh for those of you who don't know, Justin is the CEO and founder of Chariot Consulting. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about who you are, maybe your background, mm-hmm. you know, what how, how you got to this place, how you started Chariot and, you know, risk management in general. And then and then we'll dive in from there. Yeah. I'll try to give you the uh, Cliff Notes version. Okay. You can take up the whole <laughs> podcast with how I got
1: here. You know, I'm born and raised in Kentucky from a small town in Kentucky, Bob. 10,000 people, although the sign still says 7,500, and it's it's been that way since I was a kid. So I'm assuming there's around 10,000 people. Very small town, probably 115 kids in my high school. Ended up going to school about an hour away from, from my hometown into a small school called Mary State. Uh, I had turned down five-four rides to play football because I was just completely burned out on, on the idea of playing football. So I didn't, didn't know what I was going to do, decided to go to college that was close, Fortunately for me, I got an academic scholarship, so I went relatively free um, to go to school, which is a good thing. That's Uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I was in a, I I was kind of in a space where I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I figured I wanted to stay around athletics, so I'd be an exercise science major, maybe go to physical therapy school. Mm -hmm. But I was only taking general education courses when I first got to college. Someone said, listen, don't dive into your major yet because you may figure out you want to do something different. Right. Which is, which yep. is what happened. Uh, <laughs> Always, <laughs> yeah. I realized that I was going to have to put in like fifteen hundred volunteer hours with the football team, basketball team, baseball team. I said, I might as well play football if I was going to do that. So uh, immediately I, my interest was lacking in that mm-hmm. area. So I had a biology class. It was one of my gen ed courses. And this kid said he was a uh, OSHA major. His name was Brian Cole. I never will forget it. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, oh, OK, it's cool. You study marine animals because I thought he said ocean major. I like, oh, <laughs> right. OK. Like it's interesting to do in Kentucky, but right. OK. And he says, no, OSHA, Occupational Safety and Health. And he told me a little bit about it. And the one thing he said that stood out was he said, look, they guarantee me a job making about 50 grand out of college. So well, what, what do you mean they guarantee you a job? I can't mm-hmm. guarantee you a job. He said, well, they all but guarantee me a job. They're sending out 500 copies of my resume every semester. we've got these Fortune 500 companies coming in to interview us. And I said, tell me more because Mm -hmm. my mom said, go to college and get a job. She didn't say what job. She said, go to college and get a job. So that sounded like something to me that was interesting. That afternoon, I went and talked to the head of the department. He told me more about it. I changed my major that day and still had no idea what occupational safety and health Mm -hmm. was. But,
0: but you Mm -hmm. knew it wasn't with the ocean. (laughs) I knew it wasn't with the ocean. I knew it wasn't with
1: the ocean. And I knew that I was going to get a pretty, pretty good job. For me, Uh 50 grand back then was a lot of money coming out of college. I mean, still a lot of money for for some kids coming out of college, Mm -hmm. depending on where you are. So anyway, fast forward, graduated, did an internship at GE. Realized really quickly that what I thought safety and health was, was not what I wanted to do, which is go work in a manufacturing facility every day and feel like a factory worker. I didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know what else to do with the major. So I decided I'd go to grad school and kind of figure it out in grad school and maybe go to law school after grad school, go to law school, you know? So I went to grad school and I had a professor who was a risk manager. He was, his title was risk, risk control consultant. And he worked for traveler's insurance. So he'd come on Wednesday and teach a night class. And he basically told us what he did every day. And so he went to different businesses and consulted with them on insurance, safety and health and all that good stuff. And it sounded like something that I wanted to do that I could do with this major. So I started to see, got opportunities in the insurance industry, uh, got a job with CNA Insurance. They basically taught me insurance and taught me how to be a consultant. Uh, and I really got passionate about the business owner. So as I was mm-hmm. consulting on these insurance coverages, uh, I really wanted to figure out what the business owner's pain points were. And so I leaned more into kind of figuring out the business side of it. And I was I was meeting people from all different industries, construction, restaurants, uh, manufacturing. And it was really interesting, exciting to me. So I knew at that point I wanted to be a consultant in some capacity for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. It was really just about finding out what the problems were and and figuring out how to solve those problems. And what I found out really early was that most business owners, their problems all uh, started and ended with the employee Either they didn't know how to hire, once they hired, they didn't know how to train, a whole bunch of things that, that went into uh, dealing with employees. So I wanted to learn more about human resources. Mm-hmm. I dove into that and got a certification in human resources. And so yeah, so just really learning the consulting business and what it what it means to solve people's problems. Was still hanging around insurance for a while, ended up coming to California in 2010 for about a year. And seeing, oh, this is a good place to live. I didn't really have the means to live in California at that point. Mm-hmm. But I knew at some point I'd come back. If the situation was right, I, I'd come back. So in 2018, I found an opportunity that was uh, working with a small agency in Woodland Hills. Um, came out, was able to build a network pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And then went right back into independent consultant uh, consulting right before the pandemic, believe it or not. So I started my good, business. Good timing. <laughs> <laughs> I, re- I restarted my business in March of 2020. Mm-hmm. Literally, I actually started in December of 2019, but it didn't really get going until right. uh, March of 2020. For me, it was the perfect time though, because mm-hmm. of the business owners, they needed uh, advice on a multitude of things. So I was able to kind of scale my business pretty quickly uh, in the midst of a pandemic. So, uh that's the Cliff Notes version of how I got involved in um in consulting. Now risk management specifically is because you know what I do is risk management from a human capital standpoint. So anything related to employ- employment, uh up to legal consultation is, is what we do. Uh, and as you know in, in California, the moment you hire an employee, you're putting your business at risk.
0: Yeah, big um, time. Especially yeah, time. like you said, especially in California. Yeah. So you yeah. gotta be super busy. Well, there's a couple of things that you said there that really, really stuck out at me, um, stuck out to me. Um, One is, you know, your passion around the business owner and the passion around learning all these different businesses, right? As Mm -hmm. as a consultant, which that's the one thing that I always sort of latched onto was, I, I think, you know, forgetting about IT and technology and what we do, but just the fact that I've worked with so many different businesses, and each one is unique, and each one, Mm. while there's all these similarities, there's also all these differences, and you get to experience that and learn that so much more than being an IT guy in some company, right? And and I'm thinking back over the last, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, because... I think I've been doing this a little longer than you have. Maybe, maybe just a couple of years. <laughs> just long. a tad, yeah. But I think that's really cool. And I think that, you know, again, there's a connection there between us in terms of, I really enjoy learning and and, and being exposed to these different things. And that's yeah. what it sounded like to you. Yeah, and not and
1: not just even industry to industry, but also mm-hmm. role to role. Like, so there, there's times where I'll go out and I'll meet with the CEO of, of a major company, Uh, there are times I'll go out and I'll meet with the office manager, you know? So the way you communicate, even in the same business or the same industry, uh, the way you communicate with a person who's in a different role is you have to tweak it. Right. So that, that's a challenge. I like that challenge being able Mm -hmm. to relate to people who have differing aspirations, uh, the different objectives, you know, they're going to work for the same company, but they're wanting different things out of, out of the day. Right. And, Mm -hmm. And ultimately out of the meeting with me, they want different things. Right. And so figuring that out is is exciting to me as well
0: mm-hmm. so how do you like looking back and, and hearing hearing your story and hearing your progression to where you're at today um and i don't know if this is you know a sidebar per se but you really sound self-motivated and it really sounded like um i mean Not to downplay, you know, all the other people in your lives that are pushing you and whatnot, but like going back to get your master's or changing your major, like it it sounds like you were super motivated, you know, from the inside out to accomplish, right? Like coming from a small town, I would have to, you know, think because... Literally I grew up here, right? And yeah. this is not a small town. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, so I'm overwhelmed in, you know, people and cars and traffic and businesses and just media, right? Just from day one. But yeah. coming from a small town, like where where did you get that from, do you think? Like that yeah, that's, he, That that just, it's interesting to talk to people about things like that, right? Yeah, you know, I've, I've thought about
1: this uh, a lot, honestly. I, there's something first of all i believe in um i believe in purpose i believe everyone has a has a purpose a thing that they get up and want to do every day i call it a push power this thing that that makes you get up and feel like you need to go do something now whatever that something is people uh, navigate that for themselves but there's something that wants that makes makes you want to get up and go do something so that that's part of it i've always felt that uh but one of the most pivotal moments in my life i believe when i was i was 10 years old uh, my uncle, when I was five, left Kentucky, left my hometown, and moved to Phoenix. It was a big deal. You know, he was the first person in my family that I could remember that actually moved away pretty far. Most of my family is so centralized in that area. And I remember him and his wife packing up the van, and you know, my grandmother's crying, and they're all they're leaving, they're going to Phoenix. Mm-hmm. So about five years later, uh, he had been asking my mom, we send him to. You should send him out here for the summer." Let him experience something different. At that point in time, my mom had probably never been on a plane. I'm not even sure if she probably left the state maybe one time. And she was considering putting her 10-year-old son on a plane and sending him to Phoenix for the summer. So after a lot of thought, she decided she would do it. Now, this time, you know, there was kids were still, I don't know if they still do it, but kids were still flying by themselves. So what happened? They mm-hmm. put a wristband on me. The flight attendant passed me off from one to, to the other to make sure I got to where I was going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I went to Phoenix and not consciously did that trip change my life. So I wasn't, I wasn't aware that anything different was happening, Right. but at the end of the summer, when I went back home, suddenly my, my town felt smaller than what it was before, what it had been before. To me, it was the whole world prior mm-hmm. to that trip. Right. And then I realized, oh, there was a lot more to do that summer. I came to California. So I went to nevada obviously i was in arizona texas i just saw a lot of different places interact with a lot of different types of kids and it it, it i think it changed something in me it, it instilled something in me that oh, i need to go explore there's more out here to to the world and I also my mom was she had so much foresight i thought mm-hmm. because she ne- she didn't go to college my dad dropped out of high school after basketball season he decided oh basketball season is over i guess i should go to work you know that's kind of what he did Mm -hmm. he dropped off dropped out of school literally two months before graduation but she never gave my brother and i a choice as to whether or not we're going to go to college i mean i had kids in my neighborhood who would say we were in junior high what are you going to do after high school and to me that was a ridiculous question Mm -hmm. oh i'm going to college (laughs) it's just kind of well how are you going to go to college oh you're getting a football scholarship so and I think, to be honest, and this is a recent revelation, but to be honest, a lot of the reason I pushed back on those football scholarships is because I didn't want that to be the, to me, that was the stereotypical way out of,
2: hmm.
1: you know. And, and I was like, oh, I'm right. smart enough to get an academic scholarship. I don't have to take a football scholarship. Um, and that was just kind of the... Uh, the rebel in me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it was, it was a combination of those two, like being exposed early on to something that was outside of my realm of possibility. Uh, and then having a mom who was really dogmatic about, uh, higher education and having a better future for us, even though she couldn't herself see it, she just mm-hmm. knew that there was something, something out there. So I think it's just a combination of, of both of those. and And I do believe again, that there's a, a, a purpose attached to my life and why I do things. So, right. Uh, so Let's, some nature, some nurture.
0: Right. Right. Well, that's yeah. awesome. I mean, God, you should be super proud of what you've accomplished. I mean, uh, you know, that's, that's some major stuff, man. And and kudos to you for making that happen. And,
1: and Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because <laughs> a lot of people say that often and I, mm-hmm. and you may, you may feel the same way, but I think with a lot of what people would consider high, high achievers, Mm -hmm. there's this uh, constant restlessness. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: There's no time to be satisfied with any accomplishment or any achievement, which is not necessarily a good thing either, right? You have to be able to find that balance. So part of my process over the last few years has been celebrating those small victories, Mm -hmm. you know, but not to the extent where you kind of rest on your accomplishments. So being able to kind of find that balance, I'm still. That's still a, a an everyday kind of struggle for me to figure right. out where that balance is. Right. Yeah.
0: No, I hundred percent. This is why I find it so interesting talking with you because there's so many similarities and yet we came from such different backgrounds. Such right? different backgrounds. Such yeah. different backgrounds. But what you said is a hundred percent true. At least for me, right? Which is I've always had a hard time with the word success because it feels mm-hmm. like it's the end of the journey, not the journey itself right and so I don't celebrate the wins enough and people tell me that it's like why are you just you always want more you're always focused on the next thing and it's good or bad right I mean because that is that drive is what drives accomplishment right and that's Mm what helps us get things done but at the same time a lot of people around you go god just slow down and just smell the roses right and it's like well half half the journey is is you know i am smelling the roses i just don't stop as much as maybe some others right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know you know uh, a couple of things you, you said
1: there what uh, it's odd that my every time we go for a walk in the morning my dog stops and smells the same flower every day like it's mm-hmm. not going to change it's, it's, it's the same but it's just it's her taking the time to stop and you know she doesn't get to go out obviously as much as i do so she's a, she's at the mercy of me as as to when she goes out right so her viewpoint on it, and obviously I'm talking, to, you know, I'm talking about dogs versus humans, but her viewpoint on being outside and being in a new environment is completely different because she doesn't get exposed to it as much. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, for us who have opportunities to do great things, it is important to kind of stop and appreciate it. But let me, I, I want to ask you this question. Okay. I know this is not my podcast. Yeah.
0: Part, <laughs> no, feel free. We'll, we'll... Uh-huh.
1: Do you think that your definition of success changes as you grow and as you accomplish more and learn more about yourself and about other people? Are there moments where what you thought was success 10 years ago is nothing like what you think success is now?
0: Well, definitely it changes over time. No question. Yeah. Yeah. Just no different than, you know, like they say, you know, just our life experiences, right? Change and the more experiences that we get over time the more it colors our view of the world, which is gonna color our view of success and what we're doing, right? And also I think the timeline too, I mean, here's the reality is, I turned 60 this year, right? Which is like, I don't even know how to classify that number, right? But it just sounds so old, it used to be so old.
1: (laughs) I feel the same way about 40. I mean, I was thinking about what a 40 year old was like when I was 15.
0: Right. Oh my God! Um, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I still feel like that fifteen-year-old at times, yeah, right? right? <laughs> exactly. Something I picked up in you know in the last, let's say, ten years or so. Um, this was a little nugget that I picked up, um, and it seems so obvious, right? But it was basically around leadership and how we manage our staff and you know supervise people and you know motivate and whatnot and it was the simple fact of not everybody is in the same place in their lives as you are. And so, and, 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 therefore you can't manage them the same way and have the same expectations that you have for yourself that you can have for them. Right. So for me, right. I think we were talking about this. I've got a couple of kids or I have three kids in college, two that are about to graduate. Right. And that's a completely different place in life than some of my staff who have three or four or five-year-olds, right? And so their, their, their ability to work, their ability to focus on work, you know, is just, it's, it's different and I just have to allow for that. And I never thought of it in those terms, right? And so taking that concept and putting it back to your question, where you're at in life also has a different mm-hmm. meaning of success right? Sometimes when you have young kids, success is, Hey, I made it through the day and I didn't kill them. It's like, (laughs) you know, when they're really young, it's just, it's a lot of work. It really is. Right. And then they say, you know, the, the bigger, the kids, the bigger, the problems. Right. And then, Mm -hmm. and you're kind of on autopilot when you have older kids until something happens and you're like, Oh crap, this is, this is a big deal. It's not, Hey, just a skin knee. This is X, right. Or whatever Mm -hmm. X is. Um, yeah, lead, leadership yeah. is, a
1: you know, it's a difficult thing. And I, I don't think a lot of people understand it who are thrust in a leadership roles, you know, they, mm-hmm. don't, they, and I'm generalizing here, but a lot of leaders right. know of their job very well. They know how to get a thing done. They know how to complete a task, but they oftentimes don't know how to communicate that to other people. And to your point, communication is really about understanding. And you mm-hmm. have to understand first before you can adequately communicate. So there's a level of empathy and compassion that has to go into leadership uh, before you even begin the process of instructing someone on how to how to do it. Then. And I feel like this about sports. Right, most mm-hmm. of the most of the best coaches were mediocre athletes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they did a really good job of studying the game, but they also understood people, right and where they fit where they fit into the scheme when they were playing and so as they got older and stopped playing the game they understood strategy more and how to communicate that strategy i feel like a lot of people who are great athletes are not great coaches because Mm -hmm. they just kind of do it right they just it's instinctual to them they don't have to work as hard They, they just get it and they can't communicate to another person how they how they arrived at this answer right they just just got it you know i had mm-hmm. this, this guy that was a tutor he was a tutor in high school he was great at math so they said you should be a tutor he started tutoring kids his name is stewart and uh stewart was a genius in math mm-hmm. his mom taught math stewart could not explain to you how he got the answer and he would always uh kind of get pushback from the teachers because they say Stuart, we need you to show your work it's like, what do you mean I, I, it's is it the right answer or not mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's the right answer right. we need you to show your work but he really couldn't explain it he just had a gift and so you know when when I go into organizations and they are uh they have leaders who are who are more tactical versus strategic uh, strategy involves like understanding a lot of people in the moving parts Mm -hmm. Practical is kind of, they, they, I can get this done, I can get it done well, but they don't really see the big picture. So I think that's, that's the gap there, But your your point to compassion and empathy and understanding is the most important thing to communication from, from my standpoint.
0: Yeah, no question. And, you know, again, these are the sorts of things that, uh, took me a long time to learn. Right. And that's why I think, you know, what you have to offer is just so awesome because, whatever we can share, whatever we can help people learn and and learn from our mistakes or successes just cuts that learning time down, right? Like, yeah, you absolutely. don't have to spend 30 years figuring this out on your own. Here, you know, hire somebody like Justin who can, you know, help you get to that next place easily and quickly, right? Yeah, and sometimes it's
1: just, you know, standing too close to the elephant,
0: right?
2: Sometimes mm-hmm.
1: you're just so right. bogged down in the, in the day-to-day of it all that you don't even realize what's happening. Right. You know, you just can't see it. It's you not because see it. you don't want to, because you, you're you not interested in the health of your organization. You just can't see it. Right.
0: Right. hundred percent. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk a little bit about what you guys do and what, you know, what is, what is employment risk management? What does that look like? Right. Yeah. What, what are the, some of the risks out there that, you know, small business owners should be really thinking about?
1: Most business owners spend probably 30% of their time doing what it is. that actually makes them money. So what we call the revenue generating activities. If they're lucky, they can spend about 30% of their time. The rest of the time is spent on things that are important for your business, but not necessarily anything that's making you money. It's keeping you from spending money and losing money, but it's not necessarily generating income. Uh, those are things like, again, hiring training insurance, managing policies and written policies and implementing policies, communicating those policies to a team. If you got somebody that's doing payroll, you're outsourcing payroll. So all these things that are revolving around your revenue generating activities, you don't get to you don't get to spend as much time uh, on what what the main thing is. So our goal is essentially and I'm really oversimplifying it. We can We can get into a little bit more after this. But our job is to Come in and see all those extracurricular things that you're doing and see how many of those we can take off your plate or minimize for you um, so that you can spend more time on the revenue generating activities. And the reason that works for our clients is because our clients typically fit in one of three buckets. Uh, you're, you're either a client who's brand new uh, in your business. And I say brand new. You could be you could be anywhere up to 10 years old. That's still a relatively mm-hmm. new business. Uh, so you're, you're trying to figure it out. In figuring out, you're trying to navigate all the new employment law and legislation that's happening in the state of California. And you just don't know what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. Because you just said, hey, I'm good at this thing. I think I can make money on on it or at it. Why not do it? And then, like I said before, you hire somebody and then the proverbial S-storm starts, right? (laughs) Yeah. So that's one bucket. The other bucket is a company that has been around for quite some time and they run into some snags. mean, they may have some lawsuits and they may have some work comp claims that they can't get closed out. They may have some issues with uh, staffing, attrition, turnover, things of that nature. They may have some OSHA violations that they need to figure out. So that's another bucket. And the final bucket is the company that's reached an inflection point in their business. So they've done enough to get to a certain point <clears throat> and they've done it all. Uh, we say flying the plane, uh, at, uh, building the plane as you're flying, right? So they've done enough to kind of get to a place and now they really need some guidance on how to get to the next level. So those are one of our, those are our three buckets that we typically work in. Um, so for our clients, it is really important uh, that the communications that we dive in and figure out what their pain points are, because they could be all over the place, depending on which which one of those buckets you're in. So so that's essentially what we do. Now, my primary focus is on the the hiring and training side. Uh, That's that's me personally. What I really enjoy is getting in and and helping business owners with their their training. On the uh, compliance side, uh, I've got people on my team who are really good at rewriting handbooks, uh, looking at your policies and procedures, making sure they meet all the qualifications of the state of California. Uh, I've got a person on my team who is an OSHA expert. My master's degree is in safety and health. I would rather not do any type of safety health work, but I do. But I do it. You know, I've got people on my team who really, really love to go out and do mock ocean inspections and to see if everything's up to up to code. If you've got some issues with a open violation and you're trying to appeal that violation, we walk you through the steps on how to how to do that. Go through that appeal process. The insurance side, I'm a licensed property and casualty insurance broker, so I focus really uh, heavily on the work comp side as well. We've got a lot of clients who come to me because they can't find good insurance. And part of the reason they can't find good insurance is because they've got open claims that they can't manage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I act sometimes as a liaison between the claim adjuster and the business owner to try to figure out why how, how can we get some of these claims placed out. So yeah, but it's really really focused on on the human aspect of it. So we don't mm-hmm. do any when you hear risk management a lot a lot of people think about financial risk. Right. Uh, right. which is an aspect of it. Uh, We don't do anything with that personally. Now, one thing I do really well, and I'm gonna toot my own horn here because uh, I really focus a lot on networking. And i I built a network of referral partners who, if there's something that's outside of our our wheelhouse, I can send you to someone who can do it for Mm you. Most of my network is uh, insurance advisors uh, and employment attorneys. So when I have questions that are legal in nature, I'll send them to an employment attorney who usually discounts the rate to some extent because I'm referring them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Same, same thing with insurance. If you need insurance, we can, we can get you covered for pretty much anything you
0: you need. So yeah, that's us in a nutshell. Okay. So, so talking about employment risk management, because like you said, I think when people talk about risk management, they think financial risk or maybe it risk or, you know, cybersecurity uh, business continuity. They don't really think about, and again, I'm, I'm I'm one of those, you can put me in that bucket. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't really think about the existential risk, right. Yeah. Of especially not just workers comp, but all sorts of employment risk, right. Like, yeah. and, and how painful some of those well, even can pre-employment
1: be. risk. And, right. and so,
0: so you asked, I didn't
1: answer this question, but let's, let's just walk through a scenario. Let's say you you're hiring for a job, you've got a new position. You don't really have time to create the job posting. So you have someone in your office create a job posting, you put the job posting on Indeed or LinkedIn or whatever job board you're using. You get applications in. You go through the inter- interview process. You're the only person who's interviewing the applicants. You decide on someone you like and you hire this person but you don't have a job description for this person for this role. You haven't Mm -hmm. really solidified a job description. Well, one of the candidates says they're, they're upset because they didn't get the job. They're asking why they didn't get the job. You don't technically have to give them an answer as to why you didn't give them the job. Uh, well, let's say they decide, you know what, something's fishy here. Mm -hmm. I had a great interview. I've got a good resume. I fit the job posting, which the job posting, by the way, that you didn't see prior to the interview process. And this person gets an attorney and says, yep, this company is discriminating against me because XYZ. Right. You don't have a job description. You were the only one who did the interviews. Good luck defending that. Mm -hmm. Right. Now you say, come on, that is ridiculous. It may be ridiculous in any other state in California. Yeah. So so how do we navigate that? How do I how do I help business owners deal with that? Well, one is you have to have a job description so that not only you can qualify a person for the job, but you can disqualify a person for the job, right? Mm-hmm. That's one. Two, you probably should have more than one person interviewing because there's something called affinity bias. There's a lot of different biases that we can unpack. There's something called affinity bias. Mm-hmm. Uh it's a an unconscious bias that most of us have is this propensity to gravitate towards people that we can relate to. Yep. Not only do you gravitate towards these people, but you overlook some of their incompetencies because Mm -hmm. you like them so much. On the other hand, if you have someone that you don't relate to, you may not overlook those same incompetencies because you don't have anything to relate to. So these biases kind of enter into the interview process. So one way to overcome those is having multiple interviews with multiple people. And then arriving at a conclusion as a group, that way you try to eliminate some of that bias. So mm-hmm. that's that's how you protect yourself. But that even, that's even before you get a person in the door. Right. That's the interview process. Uh, and for a small business, let's so say you got 10 to 15 employees, you're dealing with cash flow issues. One of those discrimination suits can put you out of business. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have insurance coverage, you're going to have to defend that yourself. And by the way, if you do have insurance co- uh, coverage, the retention on that is probably $25,000 or so. So you got a $25,000 deductible before the insurance even kicks in. Oh, and by the way, they only pay to defend it. But any other kind of damages, they're not going to pay that. Mm-hmm. Take a breath, your business owner, I don't know this stuff. Like, why would you know this stuff?
0: Right. You wouldn't. And so right. that
1: that's the kind of risk that, that, that we deal with
0: yeah well, that's great. I mean, it's not great that we have to deal with that, but it's great that you have to deal with that <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, but no, a hundred percent I mean and again, those are the sorts of things that you know after being in business for thirty years, you learn these things. but you learn mm-hmm. it through the school of hard knocks that's right i right. I'd, I'd, I'd rather have learned it in year two, not year twenty mm-hmm. right Not that we've ever been sued, but you know other other related sort of issues, bubble up because of that. Right. I, I think one of the things that you mentioned there though, in terms of bias is, is always, that's always in the back of my mind, especially these days, because I just think that there's been, there's been such a wake up call over the last five or 10 years. Right. Just in terms of, I don't know, just, just in terms of the environment out there, but as a business owner, I have to, I like, I feel like my job is to mitigate risk, right? Because, because when you get to a certain size, yeah, it's, it's about growth and it's about retaining your staff and retaining your clients and generating revenue and keeping in, you know, improving the quality and networking. I mean, God, as an owner, right. We wear 20 different hats on on a good day, (laughs) but a big part is, you know, there, there's certain things that I hold on to certain tasks I probably shouldn't do as the CEO, but I do because of risk management, because I know, Hey, if I look at this, I'm the one on the hook. And so I want to make sure that, you know, we don't go sideways in this area, but that going back to that concept of bias, like we could be looking at, like you said, we, we get a hundred resumes for a job, right. And because of affinity bias, We could say, Hey, I don't, you know, I'm less familiar with this guy's name and ethnicity, but I'm not, I'm not consciously being discriminatory, right. Right. But I, I may look at that resume differently and not even realize it. Oh, like you said, he doesn't have X and I'm going to, I subconsciously use that as an excuse to say, no as opposed to the one who doesn't have it that I like. And I subconsciously gloss over that and say yes to them. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. And that's, you know, that's another bias on itself, name bias and name bias. Mm -hmm. You know, we think about it most of the time as ethnic bias. Mm So you're thinking about it along the lines of ethnicity, but it also works in gender as well. Oh yeah. So, you know, if you got, you're looking for someone who's going to be a secretary, you may ignore the resume that says John Smith on it.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: you may look at the one that says Jane Smith, because in your mind, the secretary might be a, a woman, right? On the other hand, you're looking for someone to be a C-suite exec, probably wouldn't do this in that way, revenue, I mean, uh, as far as the Indeed and all that stuff. Let's say you're looking for someone who's higher up in your organization uh, in a leadership role, you may overlook Jane Smith for John Smith, right? So mm-hmm. it, it works ethnically as well as uh, as from a gender standpoint. So yeah, it's a, it's it's important, and it, not only I don't really want to talk. I don't even just want to talk about from a lawsuit standpoint because right. I don't want people to think that. But let's say, let's say you've got an employee who is who's looking to be promoted, right? And you haven't given them any KPIs or key performance indicators or objectives where they know mm-hmm. how to grow, then that employee may leave. So you may lose good talent the stats, some statistics that came out, I think last year that said the turnover across all industries in this country was 40%, right? Mm -hmm. Turnover and attrition. Now it's skewed because there's some industries who have a higher turnover like restaurants or hospitality than others. Right. But that's just across the board, roughly around 40% attrition and turnover. It costs on average about $12,000 to hire and train an employee. Mm -hmm. Right. Again, across all industries, across all pay. $12,000, let's say you've got a company that's 50 employees. It's costing you $12,000 a year. Attrition is about 40%. That can cost you on an annual basis two hundred and forty grand and up a year on turnover. And a lot of the turnover is because, again, the communication isn't there. You haven't given your, your employees an opportunity or pathway to success. So they get disgruntled, they get frustrated and they leave.
0: Right. And, so and you that, hope
1: they don't stick you with a lawsuit out the door, but it doesn't have to even be about the lawsuit for you to, for you to be paying money. out. You know?
0: Right. And, and to your point, a lot of that stuff is hidden costs, right? When you say it costs you $12,000 a year, oh, 100%. it's, it's, it's not like you're writing a check for $12,000 no. because if you did, you wouldn't be doing this. Right. That's right. But, but it's, it's this hidden, it's this hidden cost. Reduce productivity, right reduce profitability, like you you don't you don't see them. and so you allow for this sort of I don't want to say mediocrity, right? but mm-hmm. that's kind of what it is because it it's not hitting you over the head that you're going to save X dollars if you do this, right? Yeah, and it's not even
1: until you dive into you know you, you may be having cash flow issues and you're thinking, well, that's weird, we're having cash flow issues, but it doesn't seem like we should be having cash flow issues. A lot of times you have to dig deep into your financials to even uncover. To your point, those hidden costs. You're having cash flow issues because your turnover is too high, right?
0: Right, and And it's costing you a lot of money. It's costing you a lot of money,
1: but it's not costing you. To your point, you're not writing a twelve thousand dollar check. It's just hitting you periodically, week to week, and you're you're starting to see it. And also, it's not necessarily just based on money. It's it's the time lost, right? Because you have to take someone the time,
0: the productivity. Yeah. I mean, literally time is money, right? But people, business owners, all of us are so easy to give up our time chasing the dollar or not losing the dollar when we don't, when we don't realize, you know, at the end of the day, how much is, how much is an hour of our time worth, right? Way more than that, way way more than that. And that's where I think all of this stuff comes into play is how do you run an optimal business? Right. And you mm-hmm. have to address all of these things. You, you you just, I mean, to your point, and I don't want to sit here and, you know, <laughs> same sort of thing. I don't want to toot my own horn, but <laughs> last year, 2023, 2022, we had zero turnover. We, we didn't, we didn't lose one staff member and we didn't replace anybody. Oh, that's and huge. It's huge. And, and it's, you know, in terms of like when you think about that $12,000, I actually think it's significantly more for knowledge workers, right? Because mm-hmm. of how long it takes you to train them and how much it, how long it takes them to get up to speed and learn the culture and learn the clients and learn what we're doing and be successful. Um, and, again, I think, you know, you could find a direct correlation between performance, staff happiness… Client happiness, financial performance with retention of staff, right? And again, and this this took me years to really learn that seems so common sense, but you're so focused on the minutiae when you're smaller and you know, and cash flow right issues. It's like you're you're just putting out fires. The last thing you want to do is say, Hey, I need to have empathy and I need to slow down and I need to talk to these people and I need to make them feel wanted. And it's not about faking all of that. It's just, you know, getting to a mature enough place that you can take a step back and invest. Like, again, I heard somebody say, you know, you're, you can focus all you want on your clients, but if you're not taking care of your staff, Oh yeah. Right. You take care of your staff first, right. Oxygen mass theory. Take yeah, care to, me, your, to me, to me, the best business owners, person. they look at their
1: employees as their first customer.
0: Uh, I love that. I I, I heard you say that. that. Yeah. I, I heard you say, I, I, I you know, I'm not going to give away some behind the scenes things here, but <laughs> to prepare for this, I watched one of your videos and I love that uh, you, you, you know, you said that your staff or your, you know, yeah, your staff are your first clients. Mm-hmm. Right? That's right. Yeah. And if you approach it that way,
1: you know, assuming that you care about your, your clients, mm-hmm. you care about retaining those clients. Uh, if you treat your staff that way, then they'll be, you'll be successful in that area. Right,
0: right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's such a big thing, and and I think that you know, culture is almost a four letter word to some people, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> having and that's one of the things I, I have to say that I'm I'm most proud of is is our staff and our culture. Like everybody bleeds what we call, they bleed FPA purple, right? Mm. Uh, It's And it's such a, you know, it's a heartwarming thought, but at the end of the day, what it delivers is quality service to our clients and a great home for our staff, right? And that's, you know, that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to create. I wanted to create an environment, right? I wanted to create, I mean, honestly, I'm a big sports fan. We can sit here and talk sports till we're blue in the face. Right. Yeah. But I want to hang championship banners. I want to be the Lakers. I hate to say this cause I'm a Mets fan, but I want to be the Yankees. Right. I want to be, you know, just, I want to be a great sports franchise that wins championships. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, and- it makes sense.
1: Yeah. You, when you think about, you know, I think the word, uh, you know, sometimes like the word family is overused in some business environments because you, you have to, you have to make a distinction between, you know, it's business at the end of the day. But I will say this, and I, I'm going to butcher this quote, but there's a quote that says, you know, a fan is someone who who roots for you when you're, you're playing or, or when they're around you. A friend is someone who roots for you when you're not there or talks glowingly about you when you're not there. And I mm-hmm. think if you... Your clients are going to be an extension of your business, right? So if, I mean, your cust- your your employees are going to be an extension of your, of your business. So how, what are they saying about the places they work when they're not at work? You know, what are they talking to their friends and family about as it pertains to their job environment? Because guess what? Your employees, friends and family can become customers mm-hmm. and their friends and family can become customers. So if you, if you look at your employees as an extension of whether they're your marketing team or not, they are your marketing team, right? Yep. They all are, they so all they're going to they're yep. tell somebody about their job and what they do and how they feel about it. And you, you can get some really bad PR uh, and it's not just going on glass door and talking about it. It's talking about it to their community and their pe- the people that they're connected with, who so are going to say, yeah, I, you know, my cousin works there. I, I would never go to that place. Mm-hmm. the way he talks about it or I would never use that product the way he talks about it. Uh, or she says, she says, they're just bad people. I'm not going to go there. You mm-hmm. know? So you, you have to be aware of that as a business owner that, you know, your marketing team is going to be out there, whether or not you want them to be out there or not.
0: Right. And, you know, to your point, um, this too is something I've learned over the years, right? It's like if you don't do a good job communicating with your staff and keeping them up to date and being as transparent as possible, um, they're going to fill the gaps with their own stories. Ooh, and and, and those stories great. are probably not the stories you want <laughs> right. told, right? That's right. So, so the more informed and, and involved they are, the more they know what's going on and they don't have to fill these gaps in, right? So why true. are we doing that? That's crazy. We shouldn't do that. Oh, he doesn't know what he's doing, right? Or whatever. You, they start filling in these gaps with their own yeah. thoughts as opposed yeah. to, oh, that's why they're doing it. I may disagree, but at least I understand why they're doing it. Yeah. And now there's no chatter, right? That's right. And and, and
1: resignation too is one of those things that's contagious. Mm-hmm. You know, once once people start to leave your organization, it's like the floodgate. For for whatever reason, I think some people may have wanted to leave for a while and then they were just unsure about it and someone left and it gave them confidence or it, you know, something starts spreading to your point around the office about what's happening and what's being done and what the, what, what direction the organization is going and people just jump shit you know, because you, you haven't controlled the narrative or gotten in front of the narrative. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think that's, again, when we're so focused on doing, we we don't see what's going on. Right. We don't see the bigger picture, which is (laughs) again, sports analogies is like, Why do they keep trying to run the ball up the middle? They're not getting anywhere. It's like, well, you don't know the strategy. That's right. There's a reason they're doing that. But if you're that to
1: to your point again, if you're that running back who keeps running the ball up the middle and getting stopped, and you don't know the strategy, you're gonna get frustrated. You're gonna stop running as hard. Yep. You're not, you know. But because you know, yeah, we're sitting this up. We're sitting up a play action, and we're about to throw a pass. You know, right? The running back needs to know that. Needs to be aware, so they don't get frustrated mm-hmm. uh, about what's going
0: on hundred percent. Yeah. So wh- what do you think, you know, again, going back to risk management, what do you see as, as some of like, maybe the major roadblocks that prevent, uh, you know, your clients before they become your clients? What, what are some of the roadblocks that people have around, you know, addressing this stuff? Cause I think a lot of times they, I don't want to say this is the last to get addressed, but oftentimes it doesn't get addressed until, you know, they feel some pain, right?
1: Yeah, I you know, I think uh, I don't want to come down too hard on business owners. I, first of all, I think small business owners in particular are the lifeblood of this economy, uh, not only in California, but in this country. So kudos to people who who say, yes, I'm going to I'm going to start my own business because guess what? It's not glamorous. And you're often the last person to get paid. You can't quit. You know, there's <laughs> all these things that you have to oh, deal yeah. with as a business owner. Uh, but I think business owners aren't different from most humans in, 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 the, in the in the sense that we are reactive by nature. Like most of us are reactive, so things have to happen before we decide we need to do something about it. Mm-hmm. The only thing that the only things mostly that we're not reactive about are things that the government kind of enforces. Like let's say take insurance, car insurance for example. You know, what mm-hmm. I mean, people have said I'm paying this car insurance every month, and I've never had an accident, right? Right. So if you ask that, if that person didn't legally have to have insurance, they probably wouldn't have insurance because their mindset is I'm just throwing money away. Yep. It's not until an accident happens. You're like, I'm glad I had that insurance. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's kind of what we deal with as far as a barrier to entry you know, for our clients. So it's our job to explain the value proposition. And we, we do it a lot by using other people's testimonies or other people's stories. You know, mm-hmm. the good thing about being in this business for now, you know, 18 years is that I've seen a lot. And so I'm able to give examples of when it went really bad. Mm-hmm. So if I'm able to have that conversation with a business owner who doesn't necessarily see the value in, in what we do, all it typically takes is a couple of stories where they can relate to. So, oh yeah, that could, that could really happen. And not only could it happen, it happens often. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. But I think that's the major uh, barrier is just how do we sit down and explain the value proposition? And, that, and that's our job as a team to really uh, get the business on to understand uh, what could go wrong uh, mm-hmm. if, if they don't do it. Um, most of the time it goes it goes back to bottom line. And, and this is kind of on a tangent. But some of the stuff I do, I teach DEI classes, which you talked about culture. So I, I teach classes and do seminars and workshops uh, on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And Craig, the first thing I say is, why do you want to do this? Mm -hmm. If if, if it doesn't make sense to you that this is going to impact your bottom line in some way, if you haven't connected those dots, this is not going to be sustainable Mm -hmm. because culture change is hard. It's hard to change your culture and you have to really want to do it you have to want to do and you have to see the value in it. That's again, that's what I try to do is try to get business owners to see the value in what we do, whether you you use us as consultants or you use someone, get a consultant Mm -hmm. Uh, at some point before you get to, because really I think you're risky at at five employees. You're really risky. Now you can be risky at one, but Mm -hmm. when you get to five employees, uh, you're really starting to get risky at 10 employees not only are you risky, but now you have certain uh, regulatory compliance uh, issues that you, you have to follow. You know, There's things mm-hmm. that you have to put in place at that 10 employee number. But again, if you got 10 to 10, 15 employees, you're probably worrying about cash flow. How are you going to grow your business? So it doesn't make sense to a lot of uh, employers at that time to hire a consultant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what they'll do is they'll go out and hire an HR manager. So right. now you've got someone who hits your payroll for eighty to ninety five thousand dollars a year, benefits, all that good stuff. You may not be ready for that full time HR person, but you may be ready for a consultant who mm-hmm. can come in part time and help you get to the place where now you need a full time um, HR person. So, right. So yeah, it's that's again. That's our job. Look at that. as our job to explain that value proposition to our clients.
0: Cool. So, can you can you give me? A- like a success story? Do you have something like that you can talk about one of your clients that without mentioning names or anything like that, but just, yeah. you know, if you can tell us like a recent win or something like yeah. that? Yeah.
1: So I had a re- really recent client. They had an HR manager. That was her title, HR manager. Mm-hmm. And she was leaving the company. She'd been working for this company for over 20 years. And out of nowhere, her husband even worked for the company. Out of nowhere, she said, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm walking away. Her husband, she said it in a, in a, in a, staff meeting, her husband didn't even know she was going to
0: say it. (laughs) Interesting. So this is a,
1: you know, this is very, uh, tight knit organization, a lot of family members, a lot of friends, but a big, a big company. They make a lot of money. So she was going to leave. Needless to say, there was going to be a huge void left in the organization and you're thinking, well, all right, you're going to have to hire another HR man. Mm There was more to it than that. She was doing absolutely everything for this organization. So they called me in and and part of what I wanted to do was first figure out what she was doing on a day-to-day basis. That was part of my job to figure out what she was actually doing. I found out that probably 80%, and I'm not overshadowing this or overblowing this, about 80% of what she was doing had nothing to do with human resources. Absolutely nothing. Hmm. She was doing tasks that were crucial to the organization, had nothing to do with her department. So my question was, well, how do, how, how did we get here? Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting in the meeting with the business owner and the HR manager, who's about to leave, who they're also really good friends. So there's emotions, they're crying, you know, what was happening? She was overworked and she said, I got to get out of here. I got to go do something else. And when we sit down and figured out her task list, you can see why she was overworked. So my question was, well, how did we get here? I don't know if you've heard uh, four quadrants of time management. Oh, yeah. Uh, So in in quadrant three, there is, those are things that are uh, not important, but critical. And I said, why are they not, how are they not important and critical? Well, they're not important to you, but they're critical to someone else. Mm Mm-hmm. And so what was happening over the course of her 20 years or so was that someone would come in her office and say, Hey, can you help me with this? I need it done right now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And she would do it and she would never relent that task. And she would take ownership of it. And over the course of 20, 20 plus years, she, she had taken ownership of so many things, there were no performance review processes in place. There was no annual evaluation. So the owner didn't even know that she was doing all these things. So how do you know that she's burned out? Well, you're asking, well, why are you burned out? What are you actually doing? There's none of that conversation was happening. Mm-hmm. So we were able to sit down and now at this point, she's still leaving the organization. They're leaving it open that she can come back at some point. But what we were able to do was kind of delegate those tasks, take some of these tasks, put them in the correct departments Get, get, get the people who were experts in this area to actually go back to doing their jobs in this area and blueprint out a transition process for this person. So that when she leaves in the next 90 days, now she did a good thing. She gave him like six months notice, mm-hmm. but now it's about 90 days. Actually, right now it's about 45 days or so. that she's wrapping things up, but we had a blueprint in place. So now when she leaves, there's a plan. Mm-hmm. So the business won't fall apart when this person leaves. Now I would rather have come in six months ago on this, but, you know, 90 days was plenty of time for us to really sit down and figure out what, what was happening, what the pain points were and what we needed to do to get, get, get us on the right track for the transition to be as painless Mm -hmm. as possible. Right. Yeah. And that's, That's that's pretty recent.
0: Yes. That's, that's great. That's awesome. I mean, it's, it's great that you figured that out and found that out. And hopefully the business owner changed some of their, you know, internal practices to get ahead of things like that for the, you right. know, for everybody else who's there. Well, one of the things that that kind of brings to mind for me is, um, I heard about this concept called a stay interview, um, which yeah. is, you know, the, uh, the opposite the, of an exit interview. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, let's, let's talk about why you're here. And have you, have you recently thought about leaving? And if so, why? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we're all as, as business owners, supervisors, leaders, you know, whatever you want to talk about, you know, whatever title or, you know, viewpoint we have, we're afraid to talk about the negatives. Right. And so we, we sort of sweep stuff under the rug and just hope for the best. Well, he doesn't seem to be in a bad place. So everything's great. Mm -hmm. Well maybe we should you know ask hey when was the last time you thought about leaving oh when this client came on board and they've you know they're so rude to us really or like the example that you gave um just feeling overworked and i just have so many things i'm working on really i didn't know that okay well let's figure that out right it's like bringing those you know and 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 again this goes back to culture and all those sorts of things right it's like your staff will know after a while, if you do this often enough, they sort of pick up, Hey, maybe they care. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's it. That's you said it right there. (laughs) I mean,
1: you know, it goes back to our deepest need as human Mm -hmm. beings. It's our deepest need is to be needed. Like that's, that's really what we we, want to be cared about. We want to feel like our existence matters. Right. And sometimes it's just that just going to an employee, making them know that, listen, I see you. I, I care about how you feel. Uh. I'll I, I tell you this quick story. Girl who lived When I first moved to L.A., girl was living in my apartment complex. And she had just gotten a new job with, I won't say the company, a company that we all know. Okay. Really, really, uh, really good job. She was basically brand new, right, right out of college. She moved here from Florida. I see her in the hallway one day and I said, hello. She kind of looked like she was going through some stuff. I said, what's going on? She said, ah, I just had a bad week at work. And I said, well, tell me about it. And she said, "Well, my boss just has kind of ignored me all week." And I'm thinking, "All right, well, what's next? <laughs> what else?" Think mm-hmm. <laughs> there's something else. Uh, and that was it. She she just didn't feel like her boss had paid attention to her all week. Now, for me, you know, I'm not going to date myself, but for us, we we would probably, if we were working, be like, "All right, I'm good. I'm glad my boss is not talking mm-hmm. to me this week. I don't want my boss <laughs> micromanaging." Right, but for her, giving her, given her, uh, her age, her mindset was: I need that. I, she needed that affirmation. She needed mm-hmm. constant affirmation that she was doing the right things. And especially, she was new. She was brand new. She was young. Her first job out of college. If she didn't get that attention, she felt like she was doing something wrong, and right. it affected her. So to your point, and that's even generational. I mean, we're in a, a, right. a place now where we're working five generations in the workplace. Mm-hmm. That's difficult to navigate. And if you're a leader and you have no idea how to navigate generation to generation, it's going to be tough for you. Right. Um, so, yeah, sometimes you just have to take that time. And I like what you said. I like that stay interview uh, concept because, mm-hmm. you know, and really it's just sometimes about acknowledging what could be off course even if there's nothing off course acknowledging that something could be and i want to hear i want to hear about what what you have to say about it right
0: yeah right well i think we're 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 coming up uh you know on our time here but i did want to talk about a couple things because i think sort of a natural offshoot of what we've just been talking about but i i know you do a bunch of things on the side on the side right outside of work life um passionate work and Boys and Girls Club. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, your focus on some of these, I don't want to say extracurricular activities, but, you know. Yeah. No, they've how, become a, a yeah.
1: huge focus for me over the past few years. I, I do serve on two nonprofit boards, one being the Boys and, Boys and Girls Club, the West Valley uh, here yeah. in the Park, and then uh, El Centro de Amistad, uh, which is based in, in the city of San Fernando, but we also have an office in Canova Park. Mm -hmm. And what El Centro does is provide mental health services for uh, underserved communities. Usually it's single mothers uh, Mm -hmm. who have children who may have some uh, mental health uh, issues or they themselves have some mental health issues. So we have really uh, experienced, uh, educated clinicians who go in home, they do telehealth, they also go to school to provide those services for them. And then the Boys and Girls Club, uh, we, we all know about the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, one thing that the Boys and Girls Club was doing for a while was a program called Future Ready. And Future Ready was a college preparatory program or is a college preparatory program. Um, it helps kids get financial aid, apply for scholarships, uh, helps them get their grades up so they can go to college. Um, and when I joined the board of directors, one thing I felt was missing was a career prep uh, mm-hmm. program. Uh, and I had started this concept about five years ago called passionate work. And my goal was to help kids connect with uh, what they're interested in, what they're passionate about, and figure out how to connect that to a viable career option. So they stopped looking at their hobbies as hobbies and they started to look at that as a uh, preparation for their careers, whatever they whatever they were. So I wanted to kind of partner with the future radio program at the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, because let's be honest, there's some kids who don't uh, who don't know what they want to go to college and study. They don't have the grades to go to college. They don't have the interest to go to college or may not have the money to go to college. So what do they do You know, when they're not in a program mm-hmm. that kind of caters to what they may want to do? I mean, the, to give an example, there's a young man in the program and he told me straight up the first time I met him, he said, look, I don't want to go to college. I said, well, what do you want to do? He says, I, well, I've already I've already got an LLC started and I I like working with my hands. I want to be a carpenter. I want to open up a shop and that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So the future ready program for him, it wasn't really a good fit, but the passionate work program that we roll out, because part of what we do in addition to, um, we run an aptitude test on the students. We also have them um, go through an exercise, which I lead kind of a three-day orientation we're running through an exercise to figure out what it is that they may want to do and connect them to viable career opportunities in that field. And then I bring in people from the community to talk about uh, how they got into what they do. Uh, most of these are business owners, uh, how they got into it, uh, what they do on a day-to-day basis and why they're passionate about it. Um, and so he was able to connect with someone who's probably going to be a mentor for him going forward Mm -hmm. Um, who who runs a business just like, just like he wants to get into, wants to start. Um, And this is a young man who he probably would never have been connected with this business owner had it not been for the passionate work program. Um, So that's really, really been um, a labor of love for me over the past couple of years. Uh, We're trying to, right now, the boys and girls club is where we're uh, rolling it out. But my, my goal is to take this program and, you know, implemented at the Girl Scouts or at um, mm-hmm. uh, certain schools and um, churches and other organizations that cater to youth development uh, to really help these kids figure out their passions uh, early on, uh, so they don't feel like they're going to college uh, begrudgingly or mm-hmm. going to college to study something that someone else told them they should. They're actually walking into a career path that they're aligned uh, aligned with. So. Yeah. It's a, it, it's, it's one thing I'm, again, I'm focusing a lot of my time and effort on it right now. Uh, and there's going to be a lot more work to do.
0: Yeah. No, that's awesome. I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, and kudos to you for making that happen. I think that's awesome. Um, So yeah, as, as we wrap this up, any, any closing thoughts or anything that you'd like to share with, with our listeners before we hang up?
1: Yeah, I just say uh, you know, obviously you can find us. Uh name of my company is chariot consulting. I'm, I'm sure Craig will put the uh information there, but it's uh Uh you can contact us. I believe the general email is contact at chariot Uh I'm on LinkedIn. Justin Groom's on LinkedIn. Um yeah, if you have any questions about consulting, you got questions about employment, uh, feel free to, if you go to the website you can set up a free 30 minute consultation, talk about uh, whether or not. And and one thing I'm really transparent about is whether or not we're a good fit. You know, Mm -hmm. I'll tell you right away, I'm not the, we're not the people for you. I'm not the guy for you. Uh, I may have someone who is, uh, but I'm really transparent because I believe in, um, client retention. Mm -hmm. And I think if I can Uh, fit a need for you, then I don't have to worry about trying to win your business year after year after year after year. year. Uh, You'll see the value in it. Uh, But if it's something that we just can't handle or that we're just not good at, uh, I'll tell you that we're not the, the team for you. But most things related to employment, again, right up to legal consultation. And even that, like I said before, I've got a pretty robust network of employment attorneys who can Uh, If they can't give me advice to give to you, they can give you that advice directly. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, reach out. We'd love to talk to you. um, And I appreciate you for having me on.
0: Yeah, definitely. This has been great. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Like you said, all of that contact info is going to be in the show notes. So if you're listening to this, just click over there and you'll be able to hook up with Justin. Um, Justin, thanks so much for your time. I think this was great. I think this was super valuable and definitely, um, you know, Anybody with any sort of employees, they should have somebody like Justin in their back pocket. So thanks so much, Justin. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thank you, Greg. Talk to you.
0: And that was Justin Grooms, founder and CEO of Chariot Consulting. I hope you found our conversation as interesting as I did. It's always great to dive into the mind of a subject matter expert like Justin. There were certainly a lot of nuggets there, and I hope you can apply some of them right away in your business. Thanks again, Justin, for your time and sharing all of your great thoughts with our listeners. If you'd like to find out more about what Justin and Chariot Consulting has to offer or want to connect with him, check out the show notes for more details. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. To learn more about this episode or hear previous episodes, check out the show notes at www.fpainc.com podcast. And if you like today's show, please do us a favor and share it with your friends. We'd really appreciate getting the word out there. And you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And while you're there, please do give us a review. Again, we'd really appreciate that. You can also write to us at podcast at fpainc.com. And if you want to send us a tweet, our handle on Twitter is at FPAINC. I'm Craig Bollock, and you've been listening to the FPA Business Before Technology podcast. And remember, with FPA, it's always about business before technology. Take care.